The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Just in time. <laughs> I'm starting to show. Uh, who says this in front? of the priest <laughs> my god welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies shows and music from two people you can definitely trust trustability varies by region no guarantees implied Aaron Dicer and Jeremy Scott. I think it's important to be lucky in anything. Well, I don't believe in luck. I believe in hard work. Mm. Oh, hard work is mandatory, but I think everybody's afraid to admit what a big part luck plays. I mean, it seems scientists are confirming more and more that all existence is here by blind chance. No purpose, no design. Hello, everybody. It's Recotopia 86. Wow, that's a lot of shows. I'm Jeremy Scott. And I'm Dicer. We appreciate you guys tuning in or showing up here on the chat for the live broadcast of this episode. The big recommend is Match Point. I'm excited to dive into that. But before the big recommend, we always like to sprinkle in some small recommends. Aaron, did you come prepared for the small recommends this week? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small. It's tiny. It's petite. It's wee. I did. I'm going to start with television this week. Uh, the Boys has a spinoff that has a few episodes out. I think they mm. did that thing that a lot of online shows are doing, which I actually think makes a lot of sense, where you drop the first three uh, to begin with and then you go weekly. Uh, I think this is where a lot of shows will land. I think it's really smart. So I think the first three episodes of Gen V uh, are out. Uh, mm. This follows the Boys universe, I believe, if I'm reading it correctly, concurrently with the actual tv show so it's not a prequel sequel it's a during quill um you know, <laughs> whatever it might Spell be that. <laughs> concurrent quill uh quill current anyways these are basically soups superheroes who are in a college program for superheroes so you replace a lot of the uh you know adult kind of goings-ons of these big superheroes, you know, supposedly protecting the city and the politics of that and that kind of thing and making the movies with the educational system and the politics of that and also the ins and outs of the difficulties of just being that age and what it means and uh, going off to college. And so all of the typical colleges, college things, substance abuse, um, you know, peer pressure, uh, sexual escapades, all of those things are now, you know, being done by superheroes, if you will. Uh, I think I like this show and I, I actually think I like it more than the boys. I'm not a huge fan of uh, the boys. I don't hate it necessarily. And I see what it's doing, but I think the satire works better here because it seems to me to be even more targeted on very specific issues and the way the superpowers relate to those issues. And I'm a sucker for that, like the metaphor of the powers being something. I'll give you one example. One of uh, the young uh, women's power is to shrink. 
she she's like you know the incredible shrinking man ant-man who whatever you want to say can shrink down to tiny but the way her power works is she has to purge to get smaller and eat to get bigger and so it allows it to deal with now the face jeremy is giving in case you can't see it on the podcast is are you serious right now is that sounds disgusting how how can you uh, this is this is the boys universe uh like it is it is grotesque it is graphic it is you know it goes places um but what i like about that is it really brings attention to an actual real topic and you know metaphors it with the superpower in a way that i think works better than than the boys has a, a tendency to do so mm. um yeah no gen v and the boys not for the squeamish at all uh in any way shape or form um mm. but uh but it's definitely doing some interesting satire mm. okay <laughs> where's where's that? Is it Amazon? Yeah, yeah, it's Prime. Amazon Prime. Yes. Okay. Which you soon will have to pay for no ads on. <sighs> Everybody's gonna be doing that too. Uh-huh. Of course. We've gone full circle. We're back to the same thing we had before. We're now I'm paying for cable and all these streaming services. Well, that's on you. I you don't have to be paying for cable. I want to watch sports. <laughs> I hear you. I hear um, you. Um all right, well, my first recommend is a movie, uh, and it's a movie that I saw as a teenager uh, living in Indiana in a town of 2,000 people. Um, Indiana, if you don't know, is basketball crazy, uh, the way Texas is about football, and the movie is Hoosiers, 1986, came out when I was 11 years old. Uh, I, of course, didn't see it until it came out on home video, and I saw this again last week, and man, does it still hold up. I don't know how many times you've seen this movie. You're a Michigan guy. I don't know what the sport is up there. Oh, this 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 movie played all the time. As soon as we had this VHS, it was in all the time. Because I'm a huge basketball guy. Like, you know, I played basketball in high school and even a little bit in college. So, uh, so yeah. Yeah, so uh, it holds up really, really well. Gene Hackman is the coach who is has strict new ways of running the team and disciplining his players. you got... Dennis Hopper as the trying to stop being an alcoholic, assistant coach, father of one of the kids. Uh, the town doesn't like this coach because he's so gruff and they're going to oust him. They have a whole city council meeting to oust this guy. And then the star player who refused to play comes to the meeting and has, says, I will play. So good. It's such a good scene. It just it, It's based on a true story, but they fudge a lot of the details, but it doesn't matter. It hits all the right beats. This is still in the conversation for one of the best sports movies of all time. If you have not ever seen it or would like to revisit it, guess what? It's on Hulu and you can watch it. Or if you have a premium subscription on Amazon, Paramount Plus, that means it's on one of the movie channels right now as well. So, I love Hoosiers. I think it has aged extremely well. Uh, the only part of it that hasn't aged well is the racial dynamic. Yes. Uh, and I think that's worth mentioning um, because there is an element of look at the white kids beat the big city black school. You know, like there's that, that is definitely part of the David versus Goliath thing here. And so I think that has not aged well. But other than that, this movie is really incredible and really done well. Um, there's so many iconic scenes in this movie. Oh, yeah. And I like I just go back to moments, um, you know, the the chewing gun moment, the or chewing gum moment and just whatever it might be, the prayer moment, which I think is hilarious. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just really good. It's well done. And and the basketball is good. It's you know, it looks like Whatever it is, 50s, 60s basketball. Um, yeah. So, 
Yeah, yes. they. I mean, they didn't. They didn't let them play '80s style basketball. They 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 got that right, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is kind of fascinating. So yeah, yeah. yeah. What's stuff. your uh, second small recommend this week, sir? Uh, we'll go to the movies. Also, possibly a difficult watch. Maybe Last Temptation of Christ. I want to talk a little bit. Um, got a chance to really watch this movie. Now, I I'm pretty sure I've seen parts, if not all, of this movie over just the course of being a movie fan uh, here and there. But I don't think I've ever sat down and watched it from beginning to end. So I did that recently, and man, it specifically blows my mind that this movie was boycotted by the American church as opposed to embraced by the American church. This is a Christian movie. Like I, like, I, I watch this movie, and I just go... This is the whole point of the the book you read, the Bible. Like that's this is like, yep. and it's just. I think it's just. It shows that many Christians, many people who have Christian faith, are uncomfortable with the humanity of Jesus. Like they are uncomfortable with the actual idea that Jesus was a human being. They like the God part. They like the you know, heal the sick, do miracles. You know, came which ironically is what the Bible says the Jews wanted him to do when he was there. You know what I mean? Like it was like, mm-hmm. you know, come conquer for us, as opposed to you know, come be this humble actual human being who's going through the things we're going through. Um, I just I found this I found this movie absolutely fantastic um I'm, it's so I'm well done positive what set them off was the idea of jesus having a sexual relationship uh which is which he actually doesn't in this movie <laughs> no but the idea i think you're right the humanity of it but yeah who, i mean the movie basically says he could have done this he could have just stepped down and said i'm just gonna live my life mm-hmm. and and the fact that he did not i think uh underscores the biblical story of Jesus in a huge way. Yeah. I mean, it certainly seems to be what Scorsese is saying. You know, that seems to be what he's exploring for sure. Yes. Yes. Like that is as good a representation of the the Jesus in the Bible that I remember (laughs) that I've ever seen in (laughs) film or television, Uh, even more than the passion of the Christ. And I understand why that movie is loved by, I know it's one of your favorite movies. Mm-hmm. It is. But it doesn't show this side. Mm-hmm. I mean, it shows a side. Well, they're two uh, very different movies made for di- very different purposes. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's it's just, I, I, was, I was really impressed, not just with the way it thematically deals with Jesus's humanity, but the way that this movie is made is just, it's really, really, Scorsese is, you know, he's a good director. You might want to look out for that kid. Like he's, yeah, he's, I mean, he he's might good. know what he's doing. Um, <laughs> I, did, I did find out uh, when I uh, got done watching this, that Scorsese was my age when he made this. Oh. Uh, so yeah. Interesting stuff. That's always interesting um, to think like what somebody's doing at your age, you know, in their career or in their life or whatever. So. I mean, my whole life I've been looking at Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning thinking, well, oh, they're your age. Yeah. What have you done? Both of us considering we're like, a, you know, <laughs> two yeah. weeks apart. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I made a fish dish this weekend mm. and I loved it, but I want to tell you about the broth that I made because I think you could use this broth uh, my second small recommend is food dish, by the way. Um, you could make this with chicken. You could make this with beef. Basically, here, I'm going to pull up the recipe so that I don't screw it up. Um, I took uh, eight Roma tomatoes. Um, and I chopped them. Two whole garlic cloves. A little bit of red pepper flakes. You throw that 
into a skillet with some olive oil for just a couple minutes, and then you throw in two cups of water, one cup of white wine, and 12 basil leaves, and then you simmer for 10 minutes. And I'm telling you, my wife and I sat at the table slurping this broth, and every few minutes I would say, it's so simple. It's such, it's, it's various, it's, it's such, there's like six things we threw in that pan. How did it, how did it become this? Okay, I didn't even keep the fourth filet of fish because I know <laughs> fish doesn't keep the next day very well. But we kept every single bit of broth that was in that pan and we've been drinking it like nice. ever since then. Uh, and so uh, it's probably one of the best things we've ever made. And I just had to share it. You know, we threw, we threw some halibut in there. After you simmer it for 10 minutes, you, you, you throw it into a blender chop it all up into a nice little broth and then you put it back in the pan and you put a piece of meat in there and you just kind of let it simmer until that meat is both steamed and boiled and ready to eat. And uh, it was delicious, I'm telling you. No, my <laughs> cucumber rose didn't come out perfect, but that was my first cucumber it's pretty rose good, I though. ever did. It's pretty good, Jeremy. We've got a picture of it up on the screen for those listening to the podcast. Yeah. Or, it, or watching later on uh, YouTube or Twitch, I suppose. Correct. Um, <clears throat> but, but, uh, um, but it's pretty good. Yeah, so uh, there you go. That's my tomato garlic broth, uh, and that was compiled from three different recipes because uh, I never just take a recipe and do it without adding to it. Anyway, uh, that's my second small recommend. And I love uh, that. I love that you are experimenting with you know fine dining creation, right? Like the uh, clearly the presentation on this dish. You were thinking about it. You were, you know, you were like, yes. I, I want good presentation on this. I want like that. I love that. That's so cool that you're kind of experimenting with that. And I think you did a great job. I, I couldn't you. make a cucumber I even like said that. to my wife, uh, I'm almost as excited to take a picture of this as I am to eat it. Yes. Um, yes. And I did Google recently uh, if there were any decent culinary schools in the area, just for hobby's sake. Mm. Like I might want to actually get some good skills and learn more about flavor combinations. But all the ones around here are really commercial minded. Like they're like, we're gonna we're gonna teach you exactly what it's like to work in a in a commercial kitchen. And I'm like, no, I just want knife skills and like flavor pairings and but that I can probably get from like one off cooking classes somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Bottom line is I'm not gonna fly and move to New York or France or wherever the right. hell and go right. to actual culinary school. But I, I have gotten to a point now where uh, I am starting to care about presentation as much as I am flavor, and uh, it's fun. Yeah, definitely. It's fun. I mean, 10 years ago, all I could do was throw some chicken fingers on a George Foreman grill <laughs> that I didn't even, like, properly marinate or anything. Mm -hmm. I just, I mean, that was what I did. That was, and I'd take some frozen corn and microwave it. That yep. was cooking. Yeah, bowl of cereal, man. All right, I think it's time on that note to get to some love, lust, and murder. Um, and, and a talk sprinkling about of tennis. This week's big recommend. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just that you're so big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. Which is Match Point. Aaron, take it away. Sure. Uh, Match Point is a uh, Woody Allen movie that is not really about tennis. Uh, mm -hmm. there, there is tennis in it. Uh, in fact, we start with a narrated tennis metaphor uh, that is maybe one of the most important cold opens in the history of movies. Uh, <laughs> it is insane 
how the movie sets you up in about 30 seconds uh, at the beginning with this metaphor of how luck plays such a place in our lives. Sometimes the ball hits the net and it either drops uh, forward and you win or it drops back and you lose. Uh, and that's what we're told. We then follow tennis pro Chris uh, as he is looking for a home and a job in England. He quickly finds uh, one of his first clients, uh, Tom. And Tom finds out he likes opera, and well, Tom's got a hookup at the opera, so they become friends. He meets the family. We've got Brian Cox as the dad, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, rich Brian Cox, clearly a succession prequel uh, here. Yeah, seriously. Uh, Dame Penelope Wilton as the mom, who I know very well from Downton Abbey. She's great in Downton Abbey. Um, and Emily Mortimer as the sister Chloe, uh, who we meet as well. And, you know, she's uh, struck with uh, Chris and he with her. Um, they do a little bit of a tennis lesson themselves. And then as they're wandering around the house one day, Chris finds Nola, who is played mm. by Scarlett Johansson. It is clear there is a fire here uh, from Chris as soon as he meets Nola. Uh, she's playing table tennis, and uh, they he starts hitting on her pretty strongly. In fact, I think the use she uh, the word she used has something to do with you play a very aggressive game. Mm -hmm. um, until he realizes Tom walks in and says it's his fiance. Uh oh. Um. Uh, so that happens. Well, cue the dating montage between Chris and Chloe. They're going out having some fun. Um, eventually, they double date, and it's clear when they're double dating that Chris and Nola are still like exchanging glances there's a heat there like you you get the movie does a really good job I think of portraying the sense of fun with you know the the Chloe character but heat with the Nola character mm. and that's kind of you know what's going on here um, the Chloe thing is also good for Chris because it's an avenue into better jobs he gets a job with the family in the family business um, he continuously pushes for more double dates because he wants to see Nola. In fact, there's one date he he connivingly gets them to go on that Nola doesn't go to, which was a little bit of a comeuppance uh, in that way. Then he spends some one-on-one -on -one time with her, and they kind of have conversations about how bad of an idea this is, uh, you know, and we can't do this. Eventually, he chases her into the rain after she has been belittled by the mother of the family. And they have what must have been the most uncomfortable sex in the history of sex uh, in the I'm middle of a grain cave. <laughs> there are a couple scenes in this movie that, to me, prove Woody Allen does not know how normal people behave. <laughs> I think and this you're is, right. This is one of them. Like, have you ever tried to take off or put on soaking wet blue jeans that were already tight when they were dry? Uh huh. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's a whole scene. <laughs> He just glosses over of the aftermath of this act yes. where they're out there in the straw, all bleeding from the, the fucking cuts. Yes, there's no to way. Pull there's on no their way. Wet jeans. <sighs> okay. I totally um, agree. Sorry. Totally agree. Back I had to, to, had to mention it, even in the, in the breakdown. Had to mention how terrible that sex must have been. <laughs> um, but then again, maybe it was just that good that none of that stuff even matters. Who knows? Uh, she says it's a one time thing. He wants to press. But he gets married to Chloe anyway. Chloe uh, is is very desperate to have a baby. Jeremy, what what were you gonna say? I would just wanted to say, doesn't uh, do you feel like he gets married because he feels like that will keep him closer to Nola? Well, yeah, it's all a part of the same. There in the pro column, he has all these things 
about Chloe. It just so happens that in intense sexual desire isn't necessarily one of them. You know what I mean? Like he has the yes. family thing. He has, oh, I get to be in Chloe's life still, like all this stuff um, in that Because I feel like that at least part of the reason, obviously he likes the lifestyle and he even admits it later, but I feel mm -hmm. like part of the reason he continues with Chloe is because that's his avenue to, to spend time with Nola mm -hmm. um, for now. Yep. But then he finds out Tom has broken up with Nola, and now he is back on the hunt. Uh, Chloe wants to get pregnant, uh, so she's trying that, and sex for them has become very methodical because it has to be at the right time and the right temperature and all that stuff uh, that you're doing when you're trying to do fertility treatments. Um, Tom does get married to a different girl who's already pregnant, uh, you know, which another, another moment where they're standing at the altar and she mentions that she's already pregnant right at the moment they get married. I'm just like another Woody Allen. Do you understand how human That's beings a, work? Okay. So this is exactly the other scene that I wrote down that says We're he doesn't understand page. humans. She says, just in time, I'm starting to show who says this in front of the priest, my God. And in front of the whole congregation. Uh, so yes, uh, so that happens. He does marry her. Uh, then Chris sees Nola at an art museum. She's back in town. Uh, he convinces her to tell him her phone number, uh, which he must have an incredible memory, just, uh, memorizes it, uh, and makes contact with her. They begin an affair. Um, a friend almost gives him away in the affair by saying, I think I saw you hail a cab out towards such and such or whatever, yeah. but he talks yeah. his way out of that one. Um, he gets a call on a long weekend from Nola saying that she needs to see him now. Uh, then he gets a call to the house phone. She is clearly desperate. Finally, we find out she is pregnant with his child. Uh, now we see him waffling back and forth. He talks to a confidant about which way to go. Uh, he has an argument with Nola, who's jealous at this point and demanding that he leave Chloe for her. We get the sense, I believe, that Chris is leaning towards all the things in the pro column of, you know, work and stability and those kind of things. But he still wants this thing on the side that he doesn't have in his normal life. And mm. she's just not dealing with that. Um, he tells her he's on a trip, but then they don't end up going. And now he's lying to Nola. Uh, instead of just Chloe. And so she catches him in that, corners him coming out of work, completely out of her mind, deranged. Oh my gosh. And just saying that he has to tell Chloe. Um, so now we see Chris frantically stealing a rifle and some shot from the hunting closet. And we're going, is he going to kill her? Why, yes, dear listener, that is the plan. He is, <laughs> he is going to try to kill her. Once he makes his mind up, he's pretty... I mean, he just goes to it like, he, yeah, I mean, he does a good job. He does a good job of portraying the turmoil. There is definitely turmoil in his, but he, he's just like, you know, this is the plan. He's, he's got a plan. He doesn't in his mind, he doesn't have any other option. Right. Um, because Nola is going to blow up everything in, good in yes. his life. Yes. So he's formulated this plan. He goes to the neighbor's house first, kills her, takes her jewelry so in drugs so that it looks like a drug robbery, and then waits for Nola to get back to kill her as a uh, an accidental witness so that the idea will be, oh, she was in the wrong place at the wrong time, just stumbled on this robbery, ended up getting killed as well. 
Um, Chris seems to have things going fine. Uh, everything seems to go as planned. That's exactly what the police are thinking it is. And then he gets a call from a detective. Turns out that Nola has a diary. Gun, gun, gun. And she has written about their affair in it. So he goes in and tells a half-truth to the police uh, about the affair, but says there's no way he could murder her. Um, and so that's uh, where he is. He goes to throw away the jewelry, and then it happens. The world slows down, and we're reminded of the tennis shot from the beginning as he chucks a ring towards the river, but it hits the post. The top of the net. The top of the net. Is it going to fall forward and lose or go? Or is it going to fall forward and he wins or is it going to fall back and he loses? We've been set up uh, to see this and the ring falls to the side, wrong side of the net, we believe. And oh, no, the ring did not get. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> So, uh, so then he's confronted by the ghosts of the two women who he killed, which is a really interesting scene for this movie. Kind of stands out from the rest of the movie in some ways. I actually had to Google. I thought I had accidentally found like uh, a director's, a director's cut, or cut. Yeah, like that scene. I don't really remember, and I've seen this movie a bunch of times, uh, but it does stand out as as. From the rest of the scenes in the film and and there's some stuff here I, I will probably want to talk about further because the this ends uh with him basically saying it'd be nice if he was caught because then maybe there's justice and meaning in the world uh that cuts to a cop waking up with a revelation instead of chris waking up from a dream which we're you know obviously led to believe is going to happen the cop wakes up with a revelation uh and he explains it that it's all clear in his head now Chris obviously committed these murders. Here's how he did it. He has everything right. If only he had that ring to prove it, we're thinking. And the other guy goes, well, that all sounds good. But lo and behold, a ring was found in the hands of a druggie who had been killed the night before. So now it's clearly his saving grace and not the thing that's going to get him committed. Uh, so the metaphor at the beginning set us up to believe that the, the ball needed to fall forward. Uh, and indeed, it's actually the reverse, which fits into the themes of luck in this movie throughout. Uh, the cop's last sentence is, what a world. Um, and then, uh, and then in the final scene, the family's together and he stares out the window knowing he got away with it as his brother-in-law says about the new child. I don't care if he's great. I just hope he's lucky. Mm. And that is match point. Jeremy, what did you think this time through? I love this movie. I really, really love this movie. I don't like too many of the characters. I don't think right. I'm supposed to. Um, Tom seems fairly harmless. Chloe seems pretty nice. Uh, I'm not sure I even... I mean, Brian Cox is playing about the nicest billionaire you'll ever see, but we <laughs> only see him interacting with his family. And I've had this sneaking suspicion that on the other side, like, of the boardroom door, like, he is the guy from Succession. Like, he is mm -hmm. a bulldog. Um, and the mom, his wife, is just... A, I mean... There's so many mothers like her in the world, but uh, I hate her um, because she gives Chloe a complex that I'm pretty sure is part of the reason why it takes Chloe so long to get pregnant. Because mm -hmm. as we mentioned in the beginning of the show, 
actually pre-show, which will be in the outtakes, that the mind is a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I believe the mother's tormenting of Chloe is part of the reason she struggled so long. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed a lot of little touches this time that I have not noticed before. Nice. Talk about uh, early on. He's reading Dostoevsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's Crimes and Punishment. Um and he puts the book down and then picks it back up. But if you look closely, what he's picked back up is uh, a companion guide to the Dostoevsky book mm-hmm. because he is not quite at the social education, well-read level right. that he wants to pretend to be. But mm-hmm. then it comes back later when they're talking about him when he's not there. And Brian Cox says, I like him. He's not trivial. We had a fascinating discussion about Dostoevsky the other day. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, God, he is just a con man. He fools everybody. Right. Uh, I wrote down, I have a lot of notes. So you'll have yeah, to go for me. it. Um, I think this movie may be about the dick versus the mind. And mm-hmm. the, that's a classic Seinfeld episode um, that I wanted to mention. Okay, so here's a note I have for Nola. You're young. You're pretty. You want to be an actress. You move to England? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on there? Like, do, there was some dinner conversation about she tried L.A. and was in a commercial, wasn't there? Or was maybe, that, yeah, maybe. I still, I mean, I, she tries in England for years and years and years. I don't yeah. know why. I anyway, mean, yeah, I'm sure there's an acting scene in England. I'm sure there is in every city. I'm just saying that strikes me as a little weird that her main ambition is to be an actress and she finds herself in London. Well, it is a little bit weird, and there's there's a little bit of an edge to this performance too, where it allows you to wonder if she's setting something up, right? Like if she's mm-hmm. purposely placed herself in the museum to reconnect and is you know is set like there's. The the movie allows you to have, you know, different ideas about who's playing who uh, throughout. So, yeah. Right. And, well, I mean, I think you could make a case that she's there on purpose. and Because mm-hmm. every time he goes after her, she demurs. Like, she's like, no, we can't mm-hmm. do that. Like, right. when they're out in the straw field of rain, she's like, this is a terrible idea. This can't lead anywhere. Um, and, and that's what she does in the museum as well. Mm-hmm. Like, this can't go anywhere. Um I kind of like that we never really learn what his job is. Yeah. Because that's not really important. Uh, all that's important is that uh, he's he's good enough to be, you know, the boss's son-in-law and, you know, keep getting promoted. But this movie's not really interested in that. Uh, or even really how that guy made his millions. Mm-hmm. I did uh, stop the movie and do some Googling when they got their new apartment that is across the river from parliament and uh, big ben and i was like i wonder if that's some trickery and nope there is actually a curved glass walled apartment building and i believe the apartments are even called uh view of parliament apartments or something hmm. like that uh but i thought that was probably one of the most expensive apartments that you could have in all of london uh when she escalates to calling him at the mansion and this is where she also tells him he's pregnant i think that is the first inkling he has that he might not be able to manage this mm-hmm. um and I have never had an affair. Um, I'm not bragging, but well, maybe I am. Uh, but I imagine <laughs> most men, most men who have affairs, think they can manage it, uh, and right. eventually, you know, gets the better of them. Uh, but I think that phone call is the one where he realizes, oh, this, I don't know that I can really control this situation. Um, and then uh, the cops. Um, I got to call the cops to task, even though dude wakes up with a revelation and he even admits when he's laying it all out for his mm-hmm. partner that we, we wouldn't really be able to prove this in court and we don't right. have the gun. Um, 
But I feel like they should have, I feel like it should have been fairly easy. Once he was caught in the lie about the affair, they should have been suspicious enough to start flashing his photo to cab drivers near the opera. Yeah, there's some... somebody remembers him, right? Well, I feel like but I a... think that's the step we were getting to. Like if if the ring hadn't been found then and had been found, you know, or hadn't been found at all, I think so that's, that's the step that we were getting to was going the to talk saying to his yeah. luck got him out of that. Yeah. All right. The only other thing I read uh, or wrote down was that this movie will make you sick of that single piece of Italian opera that it plays 92 <laughs> times. I loved it. I love the opera score in this. It's so different. It's so unique, and it, it kind of works is. for me. It does. It works in the murder scene especially well, and I, I have to wonder if the lyrics being sung have any kind of implications to the visuals we're seeing. I haven't researched seeing. that. Yeah, I wonder too. Um, but um, And I, apparently there's multiple Italian opera pieces arias in this movie mm -hmm. maybe i heard them all as the same but there's that there i feel like there's one that was repeated at least twice uh and by the last time through i was like yeah i hate this song now really really yeah. over this song yeah yeah uh i have lots of notes as well i guess i'll start with kind of uh and I, i'll start with this um i think i love this movie more this time than even the first time and i loved it a lot the first time i think this movie is so consistently um, on top of its theme, which, you know, about luck and chance and how that impacts us. There is something in almost every scene that comes down to luck or chance. You know, the idea that he got the promotion because, you know, that somebody else was up for this promotion, but, you know, I like you and you're dating my daughter. Like that, you know, there's just all these elements of things that happen in life. You know, just be, not because you're great, not because you put in the effort, not because you have a great forehand, but because you got lucky. And uh, I think the movie this time through, I was really aware of all of those different moments and they pile up. And it's it's just such a consistent worldview uh, from this movie. Um, and it has the strength of its worldview at the end to be in, that that luck does not follow righteousness. Luck isn't something that, you know, uh, that is, that has a, a goal in it. It just hap it just happens. Right. And so our brains are built both by the tennis metaphor to think that the ball falling back is a loss because in tennis, it is just such a beautiful setup. I love how we're set up in this movie. Yeah. Um, but also our brains are wired to think that, um, good things happen to good people, you know, like that, that idea. And this movie, that's not this movie's worldview. And it has the guts to go to the end going, no, luck is luck. You know, it's just where that ring falls had nothing to do whether he was a murderer or not a murderer. It had to do with where that ring was going to fall and how that was going to impact things. I love the way he twists it. Like, because when a ring falls back, you can't help but think, oh no, he's screwed. Yes. That ring is going to be the it's thing such that such a good him setup. Screwed. Yes. And it's the thing that sets him free. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. And he'll never know it. He never he will no. never know it. That's the other thing. He has no idea about yeah. any of that. Um which is just uh amazing. Um uh your game is aggressive. Did uh, anyone tell you, you have luscious lips? Your game is very aggressive. Uh I thought it was <laughs> was funny. Scarjo was great in this by the way. I oh, think yeah. I think she has some some of the the biggest acting that she's done in her career is in this movie. And I think it works. Like, like I said, when she lost her mind in that scene, I bought it. Um, it yep. felt real to me. Um, I think she's really, really good in this. Um, 
Kate Winslet was apparently supposed to play that role and dropped out. Did you know that? I did not know that. I knew that they the the original draft was set in New York, mm-hmm. and for some reason, um, I think they wanted to film in England. And when you film in England, you have to use a certain percentage of English actors. And so then they said they it in England, it English, uh, yeah. and then Kate Winslet was one of the English actors they use. And then when she dropped out, they realized they already had enough percentage. And so um, they went with ScarJo on that. At least that was I mean, my understanding Kate of it. is an amazing actress. She probably mm-hmm. could have done her own thing with this role, but it feels like ScarJo kind of really owns it. Like it, mm-hmm. it would feel weird now at this point to see or think of anybody else playing that role. Yeah. Um, did you see uh, Toby Kebble? for for like a second and a half as one of the policemen it blew my mind i was like hey hey that's toby cabell so then i then i checked the cast and he's listed in there he just he has one line as a policeman uh in the apartment i was like oh Oh, it's toby cabell and then of course ewan bremner uh who's from train spotting is also one of the the policemen Mm -hmm. which it's funny to hear him talk about um you know uh, pe- people addicted to drugs and drug use <laughs> <laughs> after being in that movie. Uh, I found this movie this time through even to be a little bit Hitchcockian in the way that it trusts its characters to own their scenes. Um, and, and not just Hitchcockian, but also kind of that old school movie making that really allows the presence of the characters to be what drives the interest in in the compelling moments of the scenes. Um, it's very different from Hitchcockian and then it's not like an innocent man who people think is guilty. You know, it's a guilty man who people think is innocent. So it Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, puts that on its head, uh, a little bit. His lies are so bold in this movie. And Mm -hmm. I think that's part of it as well as like, you know, he is putting a lot of, uh, chance in the idea of, I'm going to tell you, this is a pillbox in my pocket even though you're standing right here and could pull it out of my pocket and it's a gun, you know, shell, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's a, that is a bold lie. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's instantly disprovable, but it works. He changes the subject real quick and, and it manages to work. All his lies manage not to, to really kind of go un, uh, investigated, which is another comment on kind of the, the which world. Also, and- I think calls into question some of his tennis stories and like, sure. was he, Sure. Was he anywhere near as good as because he plays it down like I was no Agassi or anything, but he still is acting like he's a great tennis player. So anyway, my biggest laugh in the movie, and I'll finish with this. Uh, I love, love, love this movie, but my biggest laugh in the movie this time through was towards the end when and I do think it's a it's a beautifully uh, genuine trick that the movie is playing on us where he's having the conversation with the ghosts and he finishes that by saying, you know, I almost wish I would get caught because it would prove that, you know, things mean something. And then to have the policeman waking up, like, I think that's a really, because I think we all expect him to wake up from that dream, right? Yeah. And then we see somebody do the the classic cliche thing of awaking with a start, but it's not him. It's the policeman. I thought that was, that was really, really smart. Um, but my biggest laugh in the movie is right after that, after the cop wakes up and he says, uh, I know how he did it. And you just hear the wife go, what? <laughs> like, she has no clue what he's talking about it's just like that is so perfect the way her delivery on that i don't do it justice her delivery on that is so perfect like what are you talking about it's yeah. just it's so perfect uh anyhow there you go there's there's as many of the thoughts as i, I probably want to get into on this but um but I love the title. I think the title works on a couple different levels. And uh, yeah, I just I think this is a really well 
uh, structured and, and put together film, and I enjoyed watching it again. Indeed. Indeed. Yep. Oh, no. It's my turn to say something. Be very, very quiet. Secret. What secret? Our dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. I've seen a lot of great suggestions in the chat for the super secret double feature. Yeah. Like Dial M for Murder. Dial M and Notorious are both Hitchcock movies that have a lot of this feel. Like this idea yes. of a secret that could be discovered. Like, yeah. Um, the uh, Why am I blanking on this movie right now? A Talented Mr. Ripley, which I recently super secret double featured, so I won't be doing that. But there's shades of that in terms of the boldness of telling the lies mm -hmm. uh, and the murder to keep yourself living the life of luxury. Mm -hmm. um, but again, did that too recently. And, and I'm not going to choose this. And I did see this in the chat, but I wanted to mention another Woody Allen movie that would play really well here. And that's the, an irrational man, mm -hmm. um, which is uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Emma Stone and Parker Posey and Joaquin Phoenix decides to murder a judge that he finds out is super unethical and cost this woman her kids. And he's just a college professor, bored, and, and he decides to commit a murder. Um, and then will it or will it not catch up to him? Um, and it's nowhere near as good as Match Point, and it's played a lot lighter in tone. Uh, but I'm going to settle on a super secret double feature called Unfaithful, starring Richard Gere, yeah. and Diane Lane, and Oliver Perez. Perez? Uh, no, Oliver screwed it up. Uh, Unfaithful is a movie about uh, a woman who has an affair with a young artist and her husband finds out about it and somebody dies. I don't want to tell you anymore. Uh, <laughs> Oliver the Martinez, journey. I believe, is... Uh, Oliver Martinez, yes. yes. Uh, that movie, by the way, if you want to see it, is it available? Jeremy, you should show prep every now and then. <laughs> That's an Adrian Lynn film. Uh, it is, yes. Yeah. And that is on Hulu, if you want to watch Unfaith. So that's my SSDF for this week. Um, and now, I need to give you some homework. Yeah, let's do it. And we are in the month of October. We started, I think we technically started last week for the non-live listeners. Uh, and I don't think we did anything themed-wise. Um, but... I mean, there's murder. There's a murder. This one, <laughs> this one we did a murder. No, I mean like the the last week when it was my oh, recommend. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. Got it, got it. Um, which I think came out yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, too many dates are getting messed up. So I'm going to try and keep us in the horror, murder, darker, scarier realm for the month of October. I don't know if Aaron will continue. I can do following that. Week. I can absolutely theme that. Sure. But I'm going to give you Tucker and Dale versus Evil. This is one of my favorite comic horror movies of all time. Um, Alan Tudyk is in this movie. He basically steals the show. Uh, and it is sort of... Hmm. Do you ever see... Did you ever watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV show? A few episodes. I did not watch there's, the whole thing. There's a whole episode where the comic relief guy, Xander, is actually the focus of the show. And he's running around and he's trying to get this thing, to stop this spell, it'll end the world... And every now and then a door will open and you'll see Buffy and everybody else fighting a huge monster. And then the door closes and mm -hmm. we're so he's not in on the main action. And we're following the kind of the side and how that all right. impacts the main action. Kind of like Rosencrantz uh, and Guildenstern. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Very much. This yeah. is a, this is that kind of a movie uh, where two guys uh, start impacting uh, what is a traditional Cabin in the Woods style horror film story. 
uh, through their own mishaps and shenanigans. And I haven't seen this in a couple of years. Can't wait to get back to it. And this movie is free everywhere. <laughs> you can watch it on Tubi, Pluto, Peacock, Sling TV, the Roku channel, Redbox, Vudu, Plex. It's on Hulu. It's on Amazon Prime. It's on Philo. <sighs> you should be able to find it if you want to watch Tucker and Dale before next week. I think it is uh, woefully underseen and underappreciated. And that is why I wish to expose it to you. Uh, I remember hearing about this movie. I never got around to seeing it. I am convinced that that I will enjoy this. I, I love this kind of stuff. Um, and of course, Alan Tudyk uh, is is amazing. I actually like uh, Tyler Labine too, uh, who is uh, seems to be the other uh, star in this, who hasn't really had a huge career. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I have enjoyed him and what I've seen him in as well. Um, most recently, Escape Room he was in. Um, oh, wow. But, uh, but yeah. I kind of like that movie. So. <laughs> <laughs> Confessions uh, with Jeremy. Not the sequel, but I kind of like that first one. There you go. Uh, all right. We've got time for a couple of questions sure, here. let's do it. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. What is your cinematic weakness? And then in parentheses, it says, interpret as you see fit. Hey, listen, I'm always going to interpret these questions as I see fit. <laughs> you you so can't you know. stop me from interpreting as I see fit. Uh, I think probably biopics, or if you're in England, biopics, I guess they say in England. <laughs> um, but, uh, Do yeah, they really say it that way? I believe so. I believe that's the... the uh, the accepted pronunciation across the <laughs> across the pond. Uh, so yeah, biopics are probably my weakness. Um, a bad biopic, I'm still going to be compelled through. I, there's just something about like the idea of who this person was, and and then I also enjoy afterwards being like, what was true, what wasn't. You know, like the hoax. You know that we did recently was like that for me. Like I'm just a yeah. sucker for it. I just love kind of figuring out and hearing stories of of people um and what they did famous or not so yeah probably biopics is is mine i like uh i only recently discovered this in the last five years or so but i really like movies that are based on true stories that at the end morph to real life footage of the real people like a uh, million dollar arm is the best example that's coming mm -hmm. to my mind right now where yeah. john ham goes to india and finds two cricket kids to come over and pitch in the big leagues and then at the end of the movie we see the real footage of the real dudes getting their uniforms mm -hmm. neither of them had a career in the mlb but it's still an amazing story um <laughs> and uh i've seen several movies that have done that uh and it, it, it adds something uh for me uh, underscores oh yeah the emotional uh impact of what i've just watched uh, definitely Definitely. It all in home. Um, uh, most recent movie I watched that did that, Gran Turismo, uh, does that oh, at the end. Interesting. So, yeah, I haven't seen that. That movie's that, is Orlando Bloom in that movie. Orlando Bloom is in that movie. That's weird. Uh, the, <laughs> it's weird that you would put says, Orlando Bloom in your movie. <laughs> the, the chat says heists was a cinematic weakness. Sure, I agree. sure. That's a good one. Um, Band of Brothers. That's pretty specific. <laughs> just just um, my weakness. Is any time, time brothers band together? Movies. Uh, time travel and Groundhog Day movies, absolutely. Um, some Mechus movies, uh, especially when he makes Pinocchio. Interesting. <laughs> Did he make that movie with Tom Hanks? Uh, I believe that was his Zemeckis film. I do believe that was a Robert Zemeckis film. I hate to disagree with you there, fair <laughs> chatter, um, in enjoyment levels. But mm -hmm. hey, that's the thing about movies is that everybody experiences their own 
experience. That's true. Uh, what is a movie you love, Aaron, but would never want to be trapped inside its fictional universe? I'm going to go with all of the above. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> mm. uh, no, I thought about this for a while, and I landed on How to Train Your Dragon. Um, oh. That, that universe freaks me out i don't like i don't understand what's going on here with with dragons and humans and i wouldn't trust it for a second like i like i i know that eventually sigfield and roy are going to get bit like i just like i don't trust the dragons i just don't and i don't want to be on the other end of a dragon who decides that i'm dinner instead of a writing part i i just don't understand how to train your dragon fun to watch Fun to you know, uh, you know, think you might be able to fly on dragons, but uh, but yeah, I don't I don't want to be there. I follow this account on Instagram out of sheer morbid curiosity of this Russian guy who has a pet grizzly bear. This bear is ginormous, and he hugs it. He puts costumes on it. He frolics around. And he on the will ground do that until it. the day he doesn't because he's dead. I'm telling you, man, <laughs> like. However you, whatever you think you know, don't know. Werner Herzog did a movie on this. It's called Grizzly Man. It's it's tough to watch, but it's real. It's even tougher to listen to. Um, I I wrote down the obvious answer for Jeremy, and that's The Matrix. Um, I think uh, both living in a green-tinted artificial computer world and eating gruel wearing burlap sacks living in a cave both sound like very very horrible existences to me and i don't want either one of them i would have to be cypher i would have to be wipe my mind give me a stake back in there and i i'll just be an office drone and i won't enjoy that but it's better than the alternative um ignorance is bliss as they say in the chat also i want to circle back to the person i misunderstood i thought they loved pinocchio but uh, he says he loathes the pinocchio mm. movie that's made so Good. i'm glad we're back we're back on the friend back page on the same there. um star wars feels chaotic and stressful amen um the halloween movies yes because everyone's dying and lord of the rings they don't have tvs <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's true. I guess that would keep me from living in any world before TVs. Just, just TV. keep your magic swords and rings. <laughs> I need my television. Uh, let's do one more. What's a story told in a movie or show that would make a great feature film on its own? Mm. Idea came from the Black Freighter in The Watchmen. I don't know The Watchmen well enough to know that story. Yeah, um, me either. I don't remember that reference, but um, I I went with the, uh, you know, uh, black like a doll's eyes uh, from uh, Jaws, the USS Indianapolis story. Uh, that could be a really interesting movie if you expand it kind of into the Jaws universe, right? You know, like the idea that the sharks are a little more uh, an active part, not just feeding as animals, but that it's, you know, I don't know. That, that seems like it'd be a great disaster movie kind of idea, uh, that USS Indianapolis story. So, uh, And what's sad is that there is a movie about the USS Indianapolis, but it's not very good and it's mm-hmm. like action oriented. And mm. I, I've said before that Jaws doesn't work without that story in there. So um, good. <laughs> it's, it's so amazing. incredible. Um, I think the story that Alfred tells in The Dark Knight about the jewel thief in Vietnam who gave all the jewels away and they ended up having to burn down the jungle 
um, <clears throat> Uh, I think that story would make an interesting movie, and I would love the, to see a biopic, a biopic, <laughs> also about Jackie Robinson's brother. When that story that Jessica Chastain tells in Molly's Game mm -hmm. about where he like he was he set a record, but no one remembers him because he came in second to Jesse Owens, and then went back home, and his older brother becomes Jackie Robinson, and this guy is so he's touched greatness twice. I just think that would be a fascinating look at how that guy's feeling about life. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. At the time. I assume he's not living any longer. But um, all right. That's going to do it for this week. Episode 86. Your homework next week is Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Roll the dice and you're going to find it free on a streaming service. Uh, we give special thanks to the chat for coming out and weighing in and watching us and reacting to us live. And uh, we will see you guys next week for episode 87. Bye. Bye. part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinema sins chat with us on the cinema sins discord at discord.gg slash cinema sins or cinema sins twitter at cinema sins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinema sins.com that's r-e-c-o-t-o-p-i-a at cinema sins.com Hey, dude. Hey, dude. I looked over on the trending thing on Twitter. X. Fuck X. It's Twitter. And uh, <laughs> it's weird how memory works. Every time I get together with my brother, every single time, I'll be like, you remember when we did this when we were 14 and you said this and I was wearing this and we went there and he's like, no, no. I remember nothing about that. <laughs> and then he'll tell a story and it's the same for me. I'm like, I don't remember that happening at all. No. Uh, the things that stick and the things that get sucked into the core or well, core of your brain and there are way too many examples of people who have very clear distinct i know this happened memories that will then someday find like a video or a picture that completely contradicts their memories to to really put any stock in what you remember because you are editing your own memories all the time and you don't even realize it like it's yep. It's just, it's wild stuff. Every every year or so, somebody will write an article with, like, the most misremembered movie quotes. Um, and, you know, mm -hmm. every time I glance through that list, I'm like, yep, I hear those misquoted all the time. I do it myself <laughs> on many of these. And yeah. So, yeah, we even, we even create movie quotes that didn't exist. Well, it's like Shazam. Like, there were thousands of fans that swore up and down. They saw this scene in the Shazam theatrical cut of, like, multiple ancient gods on thrones along with Jaimon Honsu, I believe. Mm. And they, they, they shot it, but they cut it. And like David Sandberg is on Twitter going, I promise you it was not in the movie. Uh, and people were just convinced it was, and he, he couldn't change their minds. And he's the director. <laughs> the brain is a powerful thing. The older I get, the more I realize like it's scary powerful. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. frightening. Well, there's a there's a name for uh cultural misrememberings, which is like the Mandela effect, right? Like the idea that as an entire community we misremember certain things and have passed along to each other certain things. Mm. Um just because our brains anticipate it that way. Um uh, double stuff Oreos I mentioned in a, in a recent video may not even be out uh yet. I think it was a TV Sins video. Um 
you know, you, you think of double stuff Oreos, you don't realize there's only one F in stuff. Like it's, it's <laughs> that kind of thing or Febreze, you know, everybody, uh, you know, spells it with two E's and it's actually just one E. Um, like it's, you just kind of like, and then you just can't believe it when somebody points it out to you. Like, how is that? What do you mean? Curious George doesn't have a tail. You're insane. Of course, Curious <laughs> George has a tail. And then you go back and look and you know, the, the Baron, the Berenstain bears, you know, instead of the Berenstain uh, bears. And we always called them the Berenstain bears. Yeah. So everybody did. <laughs> I was narrating a video yesterday and there was a joke in there about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. And I just stopped after that sin and I said, I predict by the time this video comes out, they will no longer be dating and this joke will be <laughs> out of date. <laughs> because we are that far ahead, which is very exciting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, 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 there will already be a million selling single about her breakup with Travis Kelsey by the time this video. Yeah, she will have written a song about it called uh, Football Man. Or no, it should be more clever than that. Um, <laughs> football Man. <laughs> and now... Football man, well, she Taylor's wrote that version. One song called "Dear John," and she could have tried harder to hide that one. Yeah, Football and man. it'd be like uh, you know, the receiver or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's, she's a genius, Jeremy. She's a genius. Um, I and I don't just mean musically; I mean business-wise as well. Uh, oh, yeah, she's that sad. stuff she's she started with Taylor's version is so smart. Um, and just like she under, she understands her fan base. She understands what it means to be connected to her fan base. Like, it's just, I just, I'm, I'm really impressed with her. What surprised me with that the most, there's two things, because when she announced it, I think I predicted on the Sincast that she was going to give one of those albums away for free. Um, I was wrong. That's okay. <laughs> uh, but the other thing that I didn't expect is that she would be able to convince all of the entertainment people who license music for shows and movies to license the new Taylor's versions instead of the older versions when they play her songs on mm -hmm. commercials. And, right. And so that is the revenue stream angle that surprised me the most was that those would supplant the originals in terms of what movies wanted to play in the background and, and television shows wanted to have in the background. I'll never forget the first time, my first memory of Taylor was... Uh... Romeo and Juliet, I think, uh, was the the song. Um, I don't know if that's what it's called, but it's the one there. She's like, you know, yeah. he was Romeo, she was Juliet, whatever. Um, and I was doing this thing with, uh, like, teen camps and, uh, you know, weekend retreats with youth kind of stuff where I would go in and we would talk about movies and TV and music and and the idea was to learn how to think critically about these things as opposed to just be entertained by them. And I remember using that song as an example of a song that is uh, b both beautiful and meaningful and is crafted really well. And we, that was one of my examples of like, you know, when you look at the lyrics of this. So that was my first experience with Taylor was using, uh, using that song in, in some of those conversations. So Interesting. Yeah. Yep, that was a long time ago, man. My wife sold her a book at Barnes and Noble once. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because uh, her Nashville ties are, are uh, pretty strong, right? I mean, I mean, yes and no. She lived in uh, a suburb called Hendersonville, north of Nashville. Uh, went to high school there, uh, but it's generally known that her and her family moved here to make her a star. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so the majority of people I've met that knew her in that time of her life don't see her as a local. They see her as like a poser. Mm. Um, but I also think that's probably true of anyone who got famous in high school. If you ask their fellow students, they're like, oh, no, she was not nice. Like, it's probably like we were talking about earlier. Your memory is playing tricks on you, mm -hmm. and also your jealousy is creeping into your memory. Correct. There. Your jealousy is defining your narrative or whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah that was 2006 was her first album. It's wild. wild. It's yeah. wild that it was only that. It hasn't even been 20 years. <laughs> well, no, you just said she's 33. You know. You're right, but she's <laughs> the biggest star the world has ever seen. And it hasn't. She hasn't even had a twenty-year career yet. Imagine where she'll be in twenty more years. I mean, it was kind. Of, it's kind of the same for all. Of, like Michael Jackson was that way too. He was so young. Like you know, it's 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 wild. Yeah. And I think she's bordering on bigger now than he was. I don't even know if it's bordering, especially when you consider the. That there's uh, a billion more people in the world. <laughs> the, there's so many more people in the world, and also the uh, the marketplace is so divided. Like when Michael Jackson hit, I mean, you couldn't get, you, you know, it was, everybody was listening to the same radio stations, playing the same music and, you know, yeah. music discovery was you tuned into your local FM station and that was it. And maybe you heard yeah. something in a TV show or a movie, but mostly it was, you know, listening to the radio. Whereas now music discovery has changed so much and has become so, dis, you know, distributed amongst so many different platforms for her to dominate like this is, is wild. Yep. Yep. That movie is, All right, I just that movie is gonna make a billion dollars. <laughs> like a Jurassic Park movie, something like that? It's a movie. I I watched the trailer. The first two minutes of the audio file I recorded today is just me going, What the shit? Like every 30 <laughs> seconds. Because it looks like they've just recreated the movie in Legos and then The OG ninety three Jurassic Park? Yes. And then thrown in some jokes. Like when the T Rex is chasing the Jeep, he steps on a Lego piece and hops up, grabbing his leg in pain as the Jeep drives away. So it looks like they're going to goofify hmm. Jurassic Park. But the, like, there's a line in there where he's like, you have a T-Rex? And like, it, look, it looks like they've recreated the bulk of the movie. And then, But like, instead of hold on to your butts, he says, hold on to your butts, my friends. <laughs> and I thought that was really odd. Anyway, it was one of the strangest experiences I've ever had watching a trailer. My friends, hold on to your butts, my friends. What movie friends. quotes, uh, Jeremy, are better by adding my friends to the end? <laughs> Let's uh, play a game, shall we? We're going to need a bigger boat, my friends. <laughs> there is no try, my friends. <laughs> this is every movie oh. quote. Just better. Just add them, add my friends. We're all good. This is like that game we played in church growing mm -hmm. up where you say under, under the, the sheets, sheets. Yeah. yeah yeah after you read the hymn title yeah. yeah i'm glad to know that that was not just an indiana thing. oh no no everybody had everybody had a version of that it wasn't always under the sheets or between the sheets there was you know there were in bed like some people just added in bed you know uh. like that. so <laughs> yeah his glory shines around us under the sheets, under the sheets. <laughs> 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 <laughs>